Hi everyone, I am Karina Gantis, host of Behind the Pen. Thank you for joining me for the show. Today I'm talking to author Victoria Sakenti. Welcome, Victoria. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Whereabouts are you in this world? I'm in Central Florida at the time. We just had uh, Hurricane Dorian skip us, which was kind of nice. That's good. Yes. It stood out on the coast threatening for close to 10 days, but finally it moved up north and we escaped the big bullet. So Has there been a, a lot of damage to the people that have actually not escaped it? Because I haven't uh, news or anything. Yes. The Bahamas have suffered greatly. Oh dear. Uh, they, they've, yes. That's they've sad. gone through a lot. So they're going to need a lot of help from the world. Well, let's hope, let's hope uh, people put their hand in their pocket and uh, are charitable to, um, to a cause like this. Okay, so yeah. let's um, talk about Victoria Sakenti. Uh, who are you? Where are you from? Uh, uh, give me some background. Uh, Victoria Sakenti, I was born in Cuba. And after the takeover from the communists take over by the Castros and the uh, Che Guevara people. My family kind of split. My mother picked up my sister and I, and she took us out of Cuba, escaping the regime. And we became sort of globetrotters since then. We lived in several places. We lived in Mexico for one year. Then we lived in Florida for about three. We moved to Puerto Rico, we lived there for about four mm -hmm. years, then I went on my own, then I moved to New York, and the traveling didn't stop there. After seven years of living in New York, I was hired by the by Pan American World Airways because I spoke two languages, and I continued flying the world since then. So Up until were, when I... You were an got, air stewardess. I'm a flight attendant. Flight <laughs> attendant. How many years do yes. that? Flight attendant. According to us, we have a standard joke that says that we are federally mandated escape assistants. <laughs> <laughs> so that's 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 who we were, how I who I was, you know. So how we long are, did you do that for? Did that for about thirty years? Three years. There's a lot of training before you got on the plane. Thirty oh, years. Years. Oh my. Thirty. God. Wow. Yes. Thirty years. I did. I did get to see the world. Believe it or not. Yes. Wow. So I gained a lot of experience from that. It was very nice, actually. Can you work your way up in a job like that? Can you go like up to head flight attendant or whatever? You can. Uh, in the uh, in the world of uh, in Pan American's world before Pan American went under, uh, you started out as a flight attendant, and then you went into training, additional training, and then you became a purser. And then once you became a purser, that you were in charge of the crew mm. and everything, all the workings inside the air the aircraft. Then you could move up to the level of supervisor. And then once you became a supervisor, you moved up the ranks uh, through uh, through the non-traditional uh, system. In other words, you were no longer a part of a crew, but you were part of the company. So that's how yeah. it went. And what yeah, about you after thinking, 30 years? Where where were you before you left? I didn't, I didn't want to become a supervisor. That was not where the fun was. <laughs> I wanted to be part of the crew. I wanted to be a crew member. That's where the fun was. That mm. You got to fly, you got to do a lot of fun stuff, you got to see a lot. Yeah. And we were very good to each other because once, once you left home, then your crew was your family mm. for the period of time that the flight was going on. So you were, let's say you were gone for two, five, seven, ten days. Mm. That was your family. So the, the ties, the bonds we made in those years were 
for a lot of fun. Nice. They were very nice and they're still there till today. So you still keep in still touch. touch. We're still in touch. That's yes. fabulous. So, yeah. so, so tell me when, when did the idea of wanting to take your writing seriously begin? When did you decide that you could become a writer? Well, um, I always liked, first of all, I always liked reading. My family was always big in the arts and um, in reading books, that, that was their thing. I did not grow up with a television set. Instead of our entertainment became books. And so my mother planted a whole series of books in my hands and said, this is what you're going to be doing on your free time. Mm -hmm. So that started, you know, um, kind of sparked the imagination a little bit. And so I started writing little plays and little fairy tales. And some of them, I would play them with my sister and my cousins and some I would not. And those kind of fell by the wayside when we left Kira. Um, because then my attention was focused on something else, which was survival in a, in a world that we didn't know. Then later on in time, once I started flying, um, I began writing my mom all these letters and telling her stories about the countries that I visited, especially if there was some, um, some stories, uh, some myths, uh, 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 facts, histories, you know, Prince so-and-so lived here and imagine if this would have happened back then. So that kind of sparked the imagination again back into what I had dropped off years before. Mm. Um, then one time I became, first of all, I became very involved in the internet with several book clubs and I became a, um, a moderator for the Outlander Book Club. Okay. And so my job was to read comments and posts to make sure that they were appropriate, that nobody, that everybody played fair and yeah. that everybody was nice to one another. Yeah. You know, let's, let's be, let's be, uh, you know, um, let's be polite. Uh, let's not get nasty. You know, we're all entitled to our own ideas and our own views and things like that. And through that process, uh, a friend of mine started to say, you know, you could write a book. Cause I was talking to her about some other ideas that I had. She said, you could, you could write a book. And I said, yeah, well, no, you know, him and ha, him and ha. Then one day coming back home from work, I had this vision from the main character in my very, very first book. And he just kind of, it's a miracle I didn't get into a car accident because it's, it happened at two o'clock in the morning. And I've always said that writers have to have a little bit of schizophrenia because how else do you see your characters, you know? Right? I totally agree with that. We are loons. Right? You know, you know what I'm talking about. So um, he insisted. He said, what about me? Um, aren't you going to write about me? And that's kind of how it all started. So your first novel, uh, well, your whole series is called Destiny's Saga and your first novel is Destiny's Plan. Where did this initial idea come from for the first novel? Part of the idea was um, inspired by the, the military man that I saw on the flights. Um, because I was flying during the time of the of the first Gulf War. And then after that, um, I saw the, the men and women that went to Iraq and Afghanistan. And so I would see them on my flights and I always wondered, what were their lives like? What, what were their loves? What were their passions? What, what made them tick? What was their background, you know? especially the ones that went to serve on a on a volunteer basis mm. and i think somewhere along the line like i was saying when i was driving home that night i had the vision of this young man this military uh 
youth, if you will, because he's he's young when when the uh, when Destiny's plan begins. Who said to me, "Why aren't you not going to write about me?" And so I, I had to I had to take time to digest the story for a moment and say, "But but where? Why? Who? Who are you? You know?" Yeah. And so I opened myself up to the conversation with the character and. He was basically saying, I'm not part of the new era. I'm part of the era when we didn't have a chance to say no, when we were drafted, when we had to go to war, to Vietnam especially. And that's when... That's why you picked that era for the Vietnam War. Right. That's, that's how it all started. And of course, back then, transportation was not what it's like today. Back then, a lot of them were being transported via buses and um, military transports, or they would take like Greyhound and trailways and, you know. They'd have to make their own way basically to the barracks or where they were driving. Yeah. They received orders. Yes, they got their orders and they had to make their way over to, especially to the training camps. So the training bases. And so, um, uh that's kind of sort of how it began him traveling to his to Fort Benning which is where he received orders to go mm -hmm. and because he wanted to become um Green Beret and in order to become a Green Beret first you had to have flight school and you had to learn how to jump in be a parachuter so that um open up the story to to for me in terms of visualizing what if he meets someone on the way over someone who is significant uh, a chance meeting and that's how destiny came into play because he was destined to meet this young lady and she was destined to meet him but what they didn't count on was everything else that happens afterwards yeah how life interferes and all the yeah, events that happen afterwards. it sounds like he was 100 percent wanting to to sign up and to serve his country and then when he meets this just this one lady young lady on the bus everything changes why what happens on that bus in those few hours to make him and her because she's she's just so pure and innocent what what happens in those hours to make their life change it's an interesting thing i i, I believe that some some people don't don't think uh love at first sight is is real but, but the circumstances of her meeting, the circumstances of her life, she was escaping, not escaping, but she was being forced to leave a, a, a parent behind that she adored. And she was in a bad situation when she gets to meet him. He is going to serve the country willingly because he comes from a family of of service people, people who served, the men in his family uh, all served. His father was a, a veteran for the Second right. World War. So, so for him, it was a very normal thing to do. That was his duty and he was going to fulfill his duty. He was not going to be part of the resistance. He, was, he had accepted his fate and he decided, if I'm going to do this, I might as well just do it and do it the right way. Yeah. But in that moment when the both of them are are together he sees he has the the uh, the um he has the opportunity to see how what's happening around this young lady how she's being treated and so uh the, the protective side in him rises to the surface right that's kind of how it all begins to churn if you will she receives a sense of, of protection from him of shelter from him while his best instincts and best feelings are elicited by her so he must, it, it's the perfect magic you know yeah but he must be in such a 
a, a mess because he's he's torn now does he does he protect her or does he follow and do his duty how can he protect her if he goes off to war and fights for his country i mean he well, must be so torn that's that's one of the big conflicts uh, at the beginning of the book because he could i mean a lot of a lot of young men were escaping there were um many of them were going to canada many of them were going somewhere else they were trying to get a um an exemption in his case he couldn't that that opportunity had left him he no longer had that chance yeah especially so if only other opportunity he would say i'm going to take her and i'm going to escape this country but then what happens if you start out your life um on the wrong side of the road so to speak yeah yeah then what does that do for your future yeah. I mean, and that's something that he had enough maturity and enough forethought to say if i begin my life with this with this person whom i feel that i could love deeply then how what kind of a future do we have if mm -hmm. i cannot be true to myself if i don't and the only thing you can say is hopefully we will get over this 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 is a challenge and we will overcome the challenge you know i'll go and i'll come back in one piece we hope well, yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, let, let's let's um, miss out the middle and the end of the book i mean people can they, they need to read the book to to find out what happens between these two um young lovers um there's i know there's a lot of conflict in between with the family with the war um amazing amazing book that people do need to read let's just go on to to the second one why was there a sequel um halfway through writing the first book um the young lady uh, of the the female uh, lead of the first book has a younger sister and um, through through the process of writing the first book the younger sister said i'm next i have to tell my story now you have now once you finish with this i'm next and quite frankly i because when i started the first book i was just going to be one book and that was going to be it i was not going to continue this I had the, the, the storyline was in my mind, in my heart. I had the, 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 the outline. This is how it's going to be because I'm not really a, a, a complete plotter. I'm a plotter and a pantser, so to speak. Yeah. But I knew where it was going to go, what was going to happen. I already knew it. You had yes, the ribbon ready to, to wrap up right. and be done with. And then exactly. she came along and said, so, hello. <laughs> so I, I had it in my mind that this is how it was going to end. And then here I am writing a scene in the first book, Midway. And then these, she says, well, you're going to write about me. And then there's another character. And he said, well, you're going to write about me. And so that's how the second developed. You put the two together. The second, they, were, they had been thrown together as well already uh, in again it's that one journey that one journey that i always say um you just never know how one life affects another and that other life that gets affected will affect the next one that follows yeah there's so a word and i can't remember what it's called which one where where you're all connected somehow but you're not there's a word for it I can't think something circle anyway well it is kind of, it is a it is a circle of sorts but it, in in the way i saw it it was more of a linear event in the sense that one affects the next and then the next affects the next and then the next one touches the next mm. and so whether you like it or not whether you think that your life is meaningless in the sense not meaningless because i don't believe life is meaningless but i mean if you think your life is nothing big not somewhat 
uh, average, that nothing big really happens, that you haven't discovered the cure for cancer, or you haven't uh, discovered interstellar travel, you know, where you can put people in, uh, in cryogenic tubes and send them to the far reaches of the universe, whatever, blah, 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 blah. The point being is that you, every human touches another human. Mm -hmm. And somehow, some way, you have to remember that your influence could influence something will affect the mm -hmm. people around you. And in turn, that will expand outside of the scope of your life. So, so we've got those two meeting for the first time in, in book one and then book two, you take over their story. Um, without giving too much away, of course, what is uh, different about these two relationship between um, the sister and this other guy than the first book with Matthew and uh, Raquelita? With, with Matthew and Raquelita, there were no, the, the, their conflicts and the difficulties were more external than internal. Mm -hmm. they, they don't, there's no doubt of how they feel about each other, but it's everything else that's happening out, outside of them that buffets them, that stops them in from direction or in that direction. And the, the period in time, in 1967, 1968, the United States was, was in a huge turmoil politically, culturally. <laughs> like it's know, not now. <laughs> It's it's almost like we're we're fifty years later, fifty one years later, we're back again on that same, you know, yeah. on that same Fine. space. But that's that's what was happening back then. So they, to a point, the couple, to a point, are are being torn by the events around them. Mm -hmm. Had they lived in a normal life with everything being perfect and whatever, they would have met, fallen in love, kissed made up, uh, kids fought, made up, married, had children, that was the end of it. That's not what it is, because that's not real life. So in the case of the second book, now you have a slightly different situation. The conflicts are internal. In addition to having external, but the conflicts are more internal. It's a, it's a matter of relationships and how how you can be confused, how you need to grow up, how you think your, your heart can be torn by two, two different individuals. And so the struggle really between, in, in the next book, it's more of a um, triangle than anything else. I was going to ask if there's a triangle when you said right. about the two. There is a triangle. Yeah. Right? So it's the resolution of that triangle that happens in the third book so we have the end book which is uh, destiny's way um which sister or which characters are are starring in this book in destiny's way yeah the last one, one. Uh, the first one the second one destiny's choice is maria teresa marite because i haven't said yet that um and i guess it's it's a uh it's uh, hats off to my culture. The, uh, the family of the ladies, they are all Spanish descent. So they're first generation Americans, but their parents are from Spain. Okay. So in, that's why the names. Um, in the second book, the Destiny's Troyes, Marite is, has to grow up. It's more of a, uh, it's a little bit of a um, um, coming of age, if you will. Mm -hmm. And coming to terms with who you are, growing up, mm -hmm. maturing, making right decisions, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and then, as well, some of the characters, especially one, he's got his own issues because he's a Vietnam vet. And he comes, he returns to the United States with a great deal of trauma mm -hmm. from the war. And back then, in the early 70s, what we know today as PTSD yeah. was unknown. People did not know. They didn't even have a name for it. And that's one of the things that the book explores is how a wounded 
veteran comes home and how he adapts to the life around him and to his when own there's emotions. no treatment yeah if there's no treatment right he's got to look after to his, and especially to his emotions to accepting that he can that he can handle this how can is is he deserving of love if you will so that's the result then eventually the resolution happens in the third book but the third book actually comes to turn takes the whole story the complete arc of the family so what you the characters that you saw in the first book even though the first book is resolved you could just read the first book and drop it right there yeah yeah, yeah. by the time that you get to the third book you will see family members uh parents cousins people that showed up and had cameo roles in the first book so to speak you see a complete resolution of everyone you see how the the arc completes but what is what is the, the actual plot for destiny's way what is the story the destiny's way is when brian well <laughs> I, I'm trying not to say um, too much of the second book, but in in the second book there is a breakup. There is a big um, there is a schism between, if you will, between Maria Teresa, Brian, and Michael. Mm -hmm. There's a huge where the family is almost torn apart um, because of it. Right. And the, the storyline of the third book is how those wounds are mended. Okay, the and conclusion. The conclusion of certain events that, that happened that began in the second book are revealed. And so okay. certain question marks are revealed in, this, in the third book. Right. You learn what what drives Maria Teresa and you learn what drives Brian and how the, the people that, how, how one person can take the wrong turn and almost ruin himself in life and given the right opportunity, because there are, there are some pretty intense moments in the book. And so given the right opportunity and the right development, that person can be steered back to the right course. And how even when you don't think you will have a happy resolution, you end up having one when you least expect it. I have to ask, uh, as an author myself, you do write about what you know, not just um, um, because you're you're taking the the ladies uh, from Spanish descent, which is easier for you because of your background. Yes. yes. Have put your own experiences don't have to say what they are but have you put your own experiences into that saga well what i put in the saga was what i know of the difficulty of being from another culture growing in the united states arriving to a country where the language is different the customs are different uh where even your own family has to adapt the difficulty of the family to to adapt what the norms what they grew up with mm. in in having to adapt to a completely different set of values i mean it was a huge culture shock but, when we came here but you'd been traveling you've been mexico you've been uh where I, I can't remember the other places. You've been to so many different places. Surely that was a culture shock and an adjustment of every different country that you lived in. Or was America just really different? Well, Mexico was the first, but we spoke the same language. So that made a difference. That helped some. It wasn't easy, but mm. that helped some. Because where the people, some people think that just because we all speak Spanish, we're all the same. We're not. You know, the people from Argentina and the people from Chile as, uh, are as different as the people from the United Kingdom and the people from Australia. Yeah. And so it goes. They speak the same language, but that's about, yeah. that's as far as it goes. Everything else is different because you have a different reality in each country. So, yes, there are influences, you know, and there are similar ties 
that take you back to the original country. But as time goes on in the new world, you develop your own. And so that's how it is in South America and Latin America. So for us to go into Mexico, even though we spoke the same language, it was, it was night and day. Yeah. But the big deal came when we came to the United States. Really? Because sure. that changed, the language changed. And so not only was it cultural, but it was also a matter of communication. Mm. Now, when you're young, you're a, you're a sponge. You, you accept, so, you adapt to the so, language very quickly. But, it, you, but, but still, there, there is still that adaptation process, you know. And especially, like I said, when it comes to, like, for, my, for instance, for my mother, raising two young daughters, that's where I drew. Uh, for the, especially for the beginning of Destiny's Plan, for Destiny's Plan itself, for my mother to, to raise two young daughters in a country that had completely different uh, set of values and, in, 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 you know, what they allowed, what they didn't allow, you know, all those mm-hmm. things made a huge difference and made it, so I drew on that, on that conflict so that I could try to be as realistic especially when it came to Raquelita, who was the oldest. Mm-hmm. And she meets up with someone who is a young man, who's an American, who is a soldier. And it's like, wait a minute. Did you put yourself into Raquelita's shoes? Did you... I tried. You know, try to experience what her emotions would have been like um, if it was you going through that yourself? I did, and I try to stay, I, I usually, when I'm writing, I try to stay very open to my characters, um, so that's why sometimes I go through periods where I cannot write at all, because if they're not talking, I can't, so in, in the case of Raquelita, yes, I did, she brought me in, in other yeah. words, she yeah. said to me, feel this, do you feel this? Do you see me? Do you, do you know what I'm going through? There were a couple of times when I was sobbing. Yeah. Through some of it. So, yes, because I could feel her, her sense of despair, her confusion or, or well, whatever was troubling her at the time. This is, this is what readers don't understand, the, the, the mentality that what we go through as writers we don't just have, like you said, the schizophrenic side of having characters talk to us and not let us sleep until we get that scene written down on paper. Right. See um, some dark scenes. If we have to write a dark scene, it takes us oh. to a dark place, and we have to climb out of that dark place to get back into our reality. And. Uh, readers don't really understand they they read a book and we take them to another place and they get caught up in the story but it's they don't understand what we as writers go through to to get that down on paper for them to be able to to live that even for a moment the case in point of that what you're saying which is absolutely right on point you know very 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 true Uh, there there's a there's a scene in the first book in destiny's plan i wrote it i wrote the scene it was the most difficult scene i've ever written in my life Mm -hmm. i remember giving it to a friend of mine and she said it is so chillingly real said i it, it was so chilling so so real so intense I, I, I was walking around the house for several moments afterwards, just, just completely thrown out, you know, by this thing. Well, as it turned out, I never put it in the book. You didn't Why not? Maybe one day I may return it, but it, it was, it, it's a kind of book, it's kind of scene that a lot of people can handle. So even though I saw it and I lived it and it took me like a week to get out of the depression, you know, afterwards I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that because it's in the end, I I hinted at it, 
and I, I kind of if if you're a if you're a uh, an immersive reader like I am, you kind of know what's no, happened, but I did not smash it. your face into it. So but I did. If you ever wanted to again, talking about going darker, your your latest novel, uh, Naomi's Journey, which. Uh, just won an award, silver medal for um, Reader's Favourite Best Romance. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank um, you. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> yeah, you should be. Um, that takes, I mean, we, we are, we're going straight off from Vietnam, straight down now to North Carolina and racism and um, abuse. And we, we're really going in, into uh, dark areas in this book. Um, the reviews you've been given so far are absolutely amazing. People have loved the book. They, they've been able to um, immerse themselves into that era which they never experienced themselves because you were able to do that in your writing. Again, this must have been difficult for you for some of the scenes. It must have been hard to, to, to write and hard to then to get out of your head. So I can imagine there were some times of just walking away. Yes. To get back to the book. You know, with, with Noemi's journey, something very peculiar happened. Um, with, the, with, with Destiny, with the Destiny series, I loved all the characters. I loved them. I loved them dearly. I mean, it's like they were part of my soul. Yeah, family. But when the story finished, I said, okay, it, it's, it's done. It's finished. But when I finished Noemi's journey, it, it took me a while to let them go. Mm. I, 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 just, I just felt I was so close to them. So, so... Um, attached to Noemi and Richard, that when the time came to write down the end, I, I, I felt like something was missing inside of me. And, and somebody said, uh, a fellow writer, in fact, said, well, then follow them, you know, continue with them. And I said, I can't because it's ridiculous. I said, no, then, then I'm forcing the issue. And, and exactly. Uh, you're, you're the author. You know when it's ended, it's finished. Yes. You know when their, their story is a happy ending or, or sad ending, whatever the ending, it's up to you. And you know when it's the right time. Um, forcing it like... Um, I shall not name any um, best-selling author names that should have... Me neither. <laughs> writing years ago and doing a series that went on forever which didn't need to go on forever um, right. and just basically force the issue because they were getting paid for these books to be written and so they were just writing crap simple as that they were writing for the sake of it and that shouldn't happen and as like i said as an author you know when it's time to stop and with naomi's journey it's a solo book it was exactly. written as a solo book and it's going to end as a solo book. And right. I think, uh, I, I love Destiny Saga, it's amazing, the story's amazing, but there is something special, something magical about Naomi's journey. Something happened when you wrote that book. It, it, it was did. like- <laughs> That's the only thing I can say. It did, and I don't have words to explain it. <laughs> it's it, just one of those things. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it from 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 the from reading the book, from from reading the reviews, from the awards that you've already been given for it, and I'm sure you'll get more. It's it's an amazing book, and it tells the story of um, is it? Do you say Creole? Creole. Creole. Creole, a beautiful Louisiana Creole lady, yes. That lives in North Carolina in the late 60s, where, of course, there's still racism. There's, oh, yeah. there's so much turbulence going on with riots and um, 
bootlegging and what have you that went on at that era which is still going on um, she lives in such a difficult situation already even though she's a survivor you know she's a survivor and you know that even though she she accepts her life she accepts it when nobody in that situation should ever accept but she does and she gets on with it and then we meet Richard well you know it's funny because somebody somebody that read the book said that uh, the it's I titled it Noemi's journey she but this this person when she wrote the the review she said it's Noemi's journey but it's also Richard's journey it's not just hers it's his as well so because he lands in he lands in this place has no idea what is in for you know and it's like boom there you are and all of this stuff is happening around him so and and he did there's a lot of there's a lot that he has to overcome there's a lot he has to fight against and there's a lot he has to understand because part of it is a big education for him. That's the big contrast between the two of them in the sense that she knows what's going on. And he doesn't. He doesn't yeah. understand it. He doesn't understand why it's yeah. happening to her, why people are treating her like they do. Um, he wants to protect her, but then again, he's in like you say he's in a situation where he can only do so much without getting her into more trouble and of course getting himself into his own trouble with a motorcycle club now why did why did uh, you bring a, a motorcycle club into this book well because richard is a motorcycle writer he loves his motorcycles that's basically it and he did he did belong to a motorcycle club when he lived upstate new york mm -hmm. so when he came down uh when he was leaving new york because of some some stuff that he needed to get a, get away from he wanted to start a new life that's what i mean he landed on this place he said oh it's so pretty here he has no idea what he's getting into. it's pretty pretty on the outside but once you look on the inside it's like oh my god you know this is as ugly as it gets ugly as it gets yeah so so be careful don't you don't judge the outside you know take take just some time to see what's really going on which is really what happens to him um but because he his motorcycle is is a it's a beautiful shovel head model mm. the local um club the local motorcycle club they have their desires they want to get their hooks into that beautiful machine and so they figure that there there's one way is to bring him into the club into the club and that's kind of sort of how it all develops plus his boss used to be part of the motorcycle club so they're still hanging out where he's going to work. So whether he likes it or not, he's surrounded, even though he's, he's surrounded love, by them, even though he doesn't right. want to be part of them. Right. Even mm. though he doesn't want to be part of anything, he has no choice. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's, he's basically, they, they, they surround him in this environment and he does the best he can but but it's it's almost inescapable i i, I love that there are there are two separate stories in naomi's journey as the reviewer said you've got richard's journey you've got naomi's journey and the two when they get together when they meet they, they clash in such a explosive way that they just don't they can't believe it themselves. They don't understand what's happening. And as well as all the, the crap that she's going through and all the crap that he's going through, you then have those two destiny, let's say destiny again, who've thrown them together. 
I guess it's a big deal with me. I it's, it's one of those, I guess it's also all those years of reading me, uh, Greek mythology, you know, it's like destiny, you know, the gods are in charge. <laughs> it's maybe I that's I mean, I, I will tell you a, a tale. I mean, I totally agree with destiny and fate. Um, I was with my first boyfriend for four years and we had a trip booked to um, the Bahamas and we broke up. And because I paid a deposit for the holiday, I made sure he paid it back. So with that money that I got back, I took me and my sister to Greece on holiday um, wow. for her birthday. And it was the first time we'd flown and the first time we'd been abroad. And I met my husband. And so <laughs> that's, that's destiny. That is fate. If uh -huh. all of that hadn't have happened, I wouldn't be where I am now with two amazing daughters and a, a fantastic husband and a, an amazing life and and so I'm I I love destiny I love fate I love um, reading about it I love people's uh, fiction but I love hearing the real stories as well but yes I totally totally believe in it but you you were also open to it do you know how many people out there they are not open to it the opportunity comes and they don't want to accept it. They, they don't, they refuse. They shut themselves up and they refuse to accept anything that's coming that way. It's kind of like that joke. I don't know if I've ever told you the joke. It's, it's the guy, this, this man is his, there's a hurricane coming. And the weather channel is telling him there's going to be a flood, there's going to be wind, you're, you're going to lose your house. So somebody comes by, as the water begins to rise from the storm, storm surge, somebody comes by in a, in a Ford F-15 and says, hey, you want to ride? I'll get you out of there. Goes, the guy goes, no, I, God will provide. I'll be fine. Time passes and now the water keeps rising. Now he moves to the second level and somebody comes by in a canoe, says, hey, do you want to ride? I'll get you out of there. I'll get you to safety. He goes, no, 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 God promised. I will survive. I, you know, he'll, he will save me. So time keeps going. Now it's a helicopter. He's at the roof of the house. We'll get you out of there. They go, no, 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 no. God will provide. He will save me. So what because, happens? He dreamt. Yeah, because God has been providing three times. Exactly. And he when he gets to the pearly head gates, he says to the, the dude goes, he says to the guy, what happened? You were supposed to provide. He said, I provided three times. What else do you want from me? <laughs> it's the same thing. I get that. No, I've never heard that before, but yeah, that, that's uh, so, so true. Yeah. So it's, it's, let's, let's um, talk about what's next for Victoria Sakenti. You're working on something totally different. You're moving away from, I don't think you're moving away from destiny. I think you're actually sticking with destiny, <laughs> but you're moving away from um, the normal drum, dramatic romance, and you're going now into the genre of? Well, paranormal, but, but there, there's, there's, a, there's a quick aside on that because I also have a work in progress that is totally contemporary. It's, it's taking place in 2012. I have to check my notes, but, but it's totally contemporary. Um, and that one is also more in the dramatic, twists and turns, character development, blah, 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 all that stuff. But I'm also working on a paranormal storyline that I wrote, started writing like, I don't know how many years ago. But this time, thanks to a friend of mine who said, you need to write a short story. I need a short story from you. I must have a short story. And I said, okay, okay, I'll give you a short story for heaven's sake. I will. So I kind of looked at my material that all the stuff that I had on my, that I have on my pile, and I said, wait a minute, I wanted to explore this, this supernatural, this paranormal story, not supernatural, paranormal, paranormal big difference. Yeah. This paranormal storyline, I said, well, why don't I make kind of like an intro short story for the paranormal and kind of introduce 
the world, the characters, how it all happens, and that's what I'm working on right now. So this, really, really could, this could end up being a series if it takes off. I intend this to be a series. Wow. I intend this to be a series of uh, uh, stories. I call them the stories of, and I don't want to say any more because I don't want to, I don't want to give yeah, anything away. Not until the, the short story well, is That's quite exciting. So, so we've got a new novel that you're working on, which is going to be dark, um, yes. maybe a little bit erotica. And then yes, you're working on another short story at the moment, but could be a series, Paranormal. And this is like, what's making you write all these different genres? What's making you want to experience and, and go into these different realities now? Why not? <laughs> I've always liked Paranormal. I've read Paranormal from, from the beginning. I love fantasy. I love things that, that I like to read that realm that, that is not your average daily uh, uh, event. Mm -hmm. I love, like I said, I, it's what I read since I was a kid, you know, so why not this? Why not you know? And there's a taste for it. And whether it was a taste for it or not, I don't think it really matters because what was it that said? I think it was Neil Gaiman who said, write what you like. Mm -hmm. write what you like write your inspiration some readers are going to and enjoy these guys, it but you're going to probably make new readers as well if you lose any I hope, you don't so. Like that I hope so going to have a new marketplace to market to new readers so that's that's really exciting I'm really excited for you I hope. actually I'm having a lot of fun writing the story the short story I'm having a blast that's wonderful. Well, thank yeah. you so much for uh, coming on the show and, and chatting with us about your journey, about your wonderful you. books. And uh, thank you for me. <laughs> it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you for coming on Behind the Pen. And uh, I wish you all the best in the future, Victoria. Thank you. And the same to you, my dear. Thank you. Thank you.